I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. I did an Instagram Live parenting Q&A on middle childhood as a topic, as a stage of development, and a number of developmental and, of course, social, emotional and behavioral aspects to that stage of development. In the course of the Q&A, I talked very briefly about how important, but also how entirely possible, imaginative play is between 8 and 12 years old. Of course, I have passed episodes on this age group in my podcast archives um, around middle childhood and various aspects of that. And, you know, I have an entire book dedicated to this age because, as you will have heard me say before, I believe that this age, 8 to 12 years old, middle childhood, is one of, if not the most under-discussed stages of childhood. And yet it is a time that so much happens developmentally in terms of what they have maybe had enough of or not enough of in early childhood, but also how the groundwork is being laid and how smooth or bumpy that groundwork is for the adolescent phase that's coming ahead. Now, in this you know, Q&A, when I casually spoke about imaginative play at this age, I then was inundated with DMs into my social media um, as to how, how, how is this possible? And I'm going to talk about this today. Just a note about DMs, though, because I know a number of you send them to me just to flag. I am so, so sorry that I cannot answer everybody's specific parenting questions on social media, but you can always email my office, info at solov, S for sugar, O-L-A-M for mother, H.com, or ask me, you know, to discuss a theme or topic on this podcast, for example. You can definitely do that. But my apologies, I can't answer all questions. But what I did get was a flurry of questions going, oh, you mentioned about imaginative play for this age, but my child's nine or ten and there's no way they'll do that. So what exactly do I do or how do I do it or why is it important? And I got so many, I decided, look, I'm just going to talk about it here. So as I get into it, a quick developmental recap first. Middle childhood is a stage of significant growth and development across cognitive, social, emotional and physical faculties. Huge amount going on. Their brains are in a constant state of flux and actually it is their daily experiences that are the fodder for this development. So their environment, physical and emotional environment, I mean, is very, very important. You're going to see that gradually they're capable of greater degrees of logic, you know, that you can reason with them a bit more, but their prefrontal cortex that, you know, part of the brain for executive function and rational reasoning thought is still very immature at this stage of development. And as such, you're going to see flashes of temper and emotional volatility, meltdowns. They're still commonplace. So you might think, okay, I've got, I had this conversation or this day and we had lots of really strong, good reasoning here. I, they really get it. And all of a sudden you get this really immature, emotionally volatile meltdown. You're going, no, they're suddenly five years old again. That is entirely normal. And that's part of middle childhood development. So the function of play is what I want to emphasize. And play isn't just something nice for children at this age. It's not just something nice at any age. It's, it's something that is developmentally essential. Because, and again, even in this middle childhood stage, play is the very means to creating the types of daily experiences your child needs to enable these important brain changes. It is actually 
through play that they're going to learn that they have a desire of their own, free will all of their own, which is going to help to strengthen and enhance the emotional resilience that they have been building throughout early childhood up to this stage and that will continue to evolve and develop as they grow into adolescence. It's not like emotional resilience is a box we take. Oh yeah, got that and that's that done now. I don't need to think about it. It's constantly evolving and developing just as your child is. Now, middle childhood is also a stage of peak question asking time. Am I right? I mean, is there anyone better than a child of this age to make you feel that you're being interrogated on a given matter? You know, in early childhood, you know, it might be those days when our children believed, you know, the early childhood under seven is what I'm talking about. You know, they really believe we parents knew it all. We held the answer to all of their questions and they brought those questions to us. Sometimes in a seemingly endless series of, but why? But why? But why? And we thought it would never end, but they trusted us to have the answer. Well, now in middle childhood, they're still going to bring their questions to us, but now they have cause to question, second guess and doubt our our responses. They ask us um, a question, whatever it might be, and then they're going to maybe even cynically, you know, question you again, question the answer you've given, suggest that they check it with someone else, be that Google, the other parent or their teachers. So it's like, "Mm, are you sure about that? Should we just double check that? How do you know that's true? And you get questioned about your answers. And it can feel like they're definitely trying to catch us out with all of their questioning. And sometimes how they start asking about something innocuous enough, you know, they ask about something that's, oh, by the by, but gradually they're leading us into something bigger using our earlier answers to the to seemingly seek to elicit a favorable response from us on a bigger thing they're very good at us all of a sudden you're embroiled in a conversation going how did I get here weren't we talking about something unrelated but they're saying but you were saying a minute ago that and how does that relate now to this topic that is completely unrelated they're really good at this and this is also an age when so-called pester power comes into sharp focus again and it's something that they persist at because it works pester power is effective because it works we get worn down or simply worn out by questions and we give in if only to make it stop but actually what's happening is they're not trying to catch us out they are instead trying to gather enough information to begin to draw their own conclusions about what they are learning Okay, and that's really important. This stage of development marks the beginning of a new learning pattern for them and questions and wonderings are to be encouraged. This is how they understand information as it resonates with them and makes sense to them. And this is easier to do if you can creatively and indeed imaginatively play with it. You know, you can say, what a great question. I don't know the answer, but how about we think together and work it out? Or I can see you've been putting a lot of thought into this. What else could you find out about it? Or I wonder what you think the cause or answer to this is and put it back to them. And then you can do something that brings the level of imagination involved up a notch. You could say, wow, what an interesting thought process you have on this topic or whatever it might be. And you say, imagine you were in charge of this issue. What would you do to solve the problem and how? And as soon as you have them imagine themselves being in charge, they are doing imaginative play. And just because their questioning increases doesn't mean we parents have to suddenly be a mastermind master on all topics of interest to our children. We can say, I don't know, because we don't know. 
And this also shows our children that they don't have to have all of the answers either, but they can discover information in a creative, playful and collaborative way. And that's really good modeling for them. So the imaginative play is a part of the questioning phase, but also it's important beyond the questioning part of this developmental stage. Play patterns definitely change at this age. It is less about the rich and deeply immersive imaginative play that you've seen in early childhood. And it becomes, you know, their play becomes more to do with things, you know, activities like bikes, rounders, scooters, skates, and indeed online gaming. But regardless, and this is the important piece, play continues to serve an important role. And when afforded the opportunity and indeed encouraged by their parents to engage in physical and imaginative play, eight to 12 year olds will gravitate towards it as much as they do towards screen-based play. In fact, research shows that not being able to engage in this kind of play is associated with more negative emotions, including anxiety-based symptoms. So this is definitely worth doing. And Often at this stage, while their play patterns change, what also tends to change is how we parents play with or bid to playfully engage with our children at this stage. This is the time when we are likely to stop playing in an imaginative, creative way with our children because we deem them to have outgrown this. Oh, they don't want to do that anymore. And so we don't make imaginative play possible. We don't make it inviting. And I'm asking you now to just take a step back and challenge yourself to bring more of that what if and let's wonder and let's imagine and that creative imaginative play back into your relationship with your child. And I'm not just going to leave you on that. Don't worry, I'll give you a couple of suggestions as to how you might do that. And remember, this isn't directive because hopefully when you're listening to these, it'll spark something in you. and You'll go, oh, yeah, we could also do go with it. Stretch this as far as you can. It's also at this middle childhood stage, by the way, what I, a previous episode I did about lying, I flagged this, but they're refining their, their capacity to tell a lie and get away with it, like tell a convincing lie. And you might remember when I spoke about lies in that earlier episode, I talked about how I believe learning how to tell a lie is as developmentally important as learning how to tell the truth. But this is a good time to play with that a little bit and bring in some imagination too and play a game of two truths, one lie. So you tell your child three pieces of information. Um, two of them are true and one is a lie and they have to spot the lie and then they get to do the same. And you shouldn't make it really obvious, but be playful with it. You could also play 20 questions, you know, again, playfully engaging with the fact that this is peak question asking time. So play a game of 20 questions. Play a game of who am I, you know, where you just write down the name of a person, stick it with a post-it note and just stick it to your foreheads and you have to guess who you are without seeing who's on your forehead by asking a set number or a sequence of questions. You can do anything like that. You could also play the game, you know, if I were president of the world, what three things would I change first and why? How and what would the outcome be? And why is that important to me? And you can take that one deeper and deeper as you go. It's also because of the doubt that comes in when they're second guessing us and, you know, questioning our answers and all of that. And that's developmentally normal, by the way. But it's no harm to, again, put in a little bit of play here that will strengthen and enhance the trust in our relationships. So put a few non-dangerous, obviously, obstacles around the floor, things like cushions or 
scarves or blankets, just little things around the floor, blindfold them, and they have to move around the floor, avoiding the obstacles, just trusting your voice to guide them. Okay, that's a good one to do. You could go back and play the director game, pick a book that they've been reading or a TV show they like to watch and tell them they're the director. They get to say cut, what scene would they delete? What character would they delete? What new character would they introduce? If they were writing an episode of a show or a YouTube thing that they like to watch, what would it be? Get them to really imagine and creatively approach that. You could do story stemming with them where you tell them the beginning of a story and then you pause and you say to them, now you tell me what happens next and how does the story end? And they pick up your thread and they add in their own piece to it. Just accept whatever they do with that. That's, you know, you don't judge it and say, really, that doesn't sound realistic. Just go with it because it's about the imagination. And you could do something like make a thumb ball. You could look that up and you'll see a thumb ball is a little ball, a softball that you toss between you. And when it, when you catch it, wherever your right thumb lands, there's an instruction on it, usually around social skills or activities, you know, do five jumping jacks or give the person on your right a compliment. It's something I do a lot when I'm working with families as groups or, you know, group activities in schools. But you can make one by just getting a soft ball and using a Sharpie um, felt tip pen that you actually write a sequence of things around it. And as you toss the ball, wherever your right thumb lands, you do that action. And if it's something you want to be about making up a story, it could just be a word and they have to put that word into a sentence or into a story or tell me a time when and they finish the sentence. There are lots of ways of doing that as well. So there are endless ways of increasing imaginative play. Um, as I said, you know, my book on middle childhood is a lot more of those, but also I just really want to get you going on seeing the value of reintroducing, amplifying imaginative play at this age, because the benefits are huge for our eight to 12 year olds and they just don't get enough of it. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.